Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. Today, I've brought back my very special guest, my kindred brother from Canada, Randy King of the 8020 Conflict Management Systems. Did I get that right? Strategy. Strategies. I put it wrong, too. 8020 so Conflict. Back and forth. Yeah. Management yeah. strategy. We strategies. Solutions. Yeah. yeah. So I might have I might have gave it to you wrong. <laughs> no, it's probably me reading reading backwards or something. Who knows? Um, yeah. And so that's a recent change. And, you know, I was calculating today. So podcast 29 is what we did last. That was our first podcast together. And it was kind of focused around your program, Realities of Viol- Violence. Um, I'm having a speech impediment problem today, evidently. Um, and it's been 10 months going on 11 months since we did that first one. And now we're back today and want to talk to folks about de-escalation, a very important topic in the realm of violence and conflict management. Um, and, you know, if you want to learn more about Randy, go back and listen to podcast 29 because he does a great intro there. But I'm going to make you do it again here. Not the full thing necessarily, because we want folks to go back and listen to that one. Certainly, especially now that it's almost yeah. been a year. But I know that the 80-20 conflict management strategies is kind of a new revamping of, of what you're doing, isn't it? That's 100% correct. So uh, I, for the listeners who don't know who I am, number one, thanks for listening. Share the show, everybody. Uh, I am a education-based self-defense instructor, and that's probably different than what I said last time. Um, and my focus is on conflict management and violence prevention. A lot of that switch, um, kind of over this pandemic, but also over like a re- my career. So I'm very lucky uh, that I people have received me very well. And so I've had the honor and the privilege to work with just a wide demographic of people from First Nations, women's shelters, corporations, the law enforcement, the military, the civilians, the martial athletes. Like I've, I've kind of trained and talked to everybody. And I honestly believe that when you have people in limited time, set, which I do, I'm a seminar-based instructor. I travel. I, like, I used to travel. I'm going to travel again. Um, but when I only get you for maybe six to 12 hours, education is by far the most important aspect of what I can give you. Yeah. Education is accessible now, and techniques take time. So I revamped my business from KP Self-Defense to 80-20 Conflict Management Strategy because I'm moving more into space of education there's so much like, there's already a lot of really good people out there you've had a bunch on the show that deal with the physical skill set but yep. the beforehand and the aftermath there's just holes there's huge gaping holes that are unnecessary um and i'd like to fill those up and make sure that people understand that like a lot of this stuff is preventable if you have strong boundaries if you have good situational awareness and, and all that's not a uh, hundred percent armor it's not stop everything but it's going to stop a lot of stuff so yeah, yeah that's what i do i'm an education-based instructor as you mentioned i had the reality violence course i'm releasing a new course july 1st called uh, reality boundary setting which i firmly believe is the root of all self-defense um, if you don't have good boundaries you're more likely to be selected by predators you're more like victimized bullied so I really believe the education portion of this is uh, is necessary, and that's where I'm dedicating my life to now. I'm still teaching physical stuff, like for funsies, but sure. that's not what I do for a living anymore. Yeah. 
And I think we kind of connected the first time we talked on that level because I think we both agree and and I think I may even said it like this when we talked the first time is that I I've long been of the opinion after having done some physical stuff anyway that the information and educational pieces are just if not more important um than the physical aspects and the physical training um and with that being said you know when we talked about realities of violence the last time i think you know i signed up for that course just to go through it myself to see what you were putting out there and i was you know blown away by the content so if you guys listening have an opportunity it doesn't cost that much and it provides you a lot of good core foundational types of information even above foundational uh check out the realities of violence that randy put out for sure um, and yeah, so it's safe to say that you're, you're connecting with folks on more of a cerebral level, which is a nice change of pace in the self-defense community for sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting and it's definitely more difficult. Like teaching somebody how to do an Ogoshi or a Sinawali drill or a reverse punch that's like, and I'm not trying to minimize anybody's accomplishments out there, but that's the easy part. The hard part is making them physically ready to do it, making them mentally ready to do it teaching them that they're worth defending, right? Teaching yeah. them that, you know, this this physical part, this this is a hammer, and we want you to have a whole toolkit, right? And like we're going to talk about today, we're going to be talking about de-escalation. This is a piece that people don't normally give out, and it's not that the people are doing a disservice. They're not. The physical skills are very important. It's just, in the world we live in, the odds of you getting into a physical encounter, if you're not a jerk, uh, is <laughs> look, It's really low, yeah. right? Right. Like, so, like, you can still pick fights as far as all day. Um, and then we have to look at exactly how this comes up, right? So, if look at that. There's need to know, like, if, if you can't identify a problem, you're not going to be able to react to that problem. So, if you can't identify what type of violence it is or what, uh, you know, victim profile you fall into, it'd be very hard to come up with a proper response to that situation. Yep. Agreed. So, de-escalation. I, you know, I can't help... Yeah. Uh, and I've already decided in promo for this, I'm going to do it because I can't help. When I think of the word de-escalation, I always think of a escalator. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, mind is a word association, right? Uh, so I'm totally going to yeah. use that for this uh, for us. But um, talking about de-escalation, you know, it's a critical piece of the whole conflict management um, ecosystem, if you will. Right. But when we get to de-escalation, you know, we've kind of passed up our situational awareness and our maybe our ability to avoid we may have just stumbled right into something so let's talk about a little bit about what de-escalation is and what it means so de-escalation is uh it's kind of a buzzword in the and i think it's correctly a lot uh de-escalation is something i've kind of been naturally good at uh, I've always had the gift of gab, as it's been said. Yep. So when I was a bouncer, I'm going to kind of go back to like why I got under de-escalation. That's okay. Sure. Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's I, important. Okay. So when I first started, uh, when I was a bouncer, every just for your listeners, every single martial arts or combat coach was bouncer, military, stuff, whatever. So I was also one of those. Um, and my first like three years of it, I kind of treated it like roadhouse, like you know, be nice, so it's not kind of be nice and <laughs> right. about it. Yep. Um. Uh, and Roadhouse is, an, is a movie for some of your listeners that came out. Yeah, for those I, that have no idea who Patrick Swayze <laughs> is or Sam Elliott, and you want to see an awesome action flick, Roadhouse is where it's at. 
Roadhouse is great. I, I, I it's nostalgia for me too. My life was based off Roadhouse for a good three years. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, I learned very quickly in my career as a bouncer once I decided that you know being the tough guy was as cool that nobody punched the smiling security guy. Right. So I actually have a course called Smiling Security that's taught in multiple countries to door staff and bouncers all around the world, and uh, it's it, it kind of off the preface of you know. People want to pick fights with people they believe are tough or they can gain social status from or they gain some kind of, you know, money, pleasure, whatever from that person. Yep. Um, and if you're the friendly, smiley guy, the odds of you getting punched are low. I have a, like a little quick story where I remember I used to work at a very rough bar. And so did every, uh, every instructor in the class. Uh, but it was a very rough bar during an oil boom here in Edmonton. People were in like, they were like fights. And I remember walking into a fight and pulling two guys apart and they wanted to kill each other. And then one guy raised his fist and turned and looked at me and he's like, oh, not the friendly guy. He actually said that. <laughs> not the friendly guy. And not him. They stopped fighting. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, they stopped fighting. If, yeah. if I was like the tough guy bouncer, that would have been like a fight. Maybe I'm going to get stabbed again. Who knows? But um, the stabbing really, really showed me that, uh, you know, de-escalation is very important because you keep escalating things. You don't know what level people are willing to escalate to. Right. So that was kind of my first touch point of de-escalation uh, if you can't talk a drunk at a bar, it's probably the wrong job. If you can't, you know, right? Like these yeah. guys have to be tough guys at a bar. Like you can't trick a drunk person. You need a new job. Like this is yep. not a hard thing. You don't need to be a hero with 600 street fights or whatever. Right. Thing. So, so that was kind of my first taste of the escalation, how powerful it was because I was always in these conflict situations where I was telling drunk people no. And one of the most dangerous jobs you can get is a place where you tell the public no. Yeah. Right, because some of the public isn't going to respond to no very well. Well, especially so, when you've got a little bit of liquid courage in you too, right? That adds some <laughs> some uh, interesting elements as well. Yeah, and liquid courage plus, right? There right, the extracurricular chemicals that aren't maybe legal where you're from in their system as well, which are interacting. Yeah, with them. yeah. So, in that situation, that was kind of my first taste of de-escalation, and then I kind of went from there. Uh, but it was something that came naturally to me, so I never really. I never really analyzed it. This is, I think this is a problem with any kind of um, learning model is if the coach is good at something and they don't know how they got good at it, it's very hard to transmit information to other people. Yeah. So I'm Canadian, so I'll use a very Canadian reference. Wayne Gretzky was one of the greatest hockey players of all time. Yeah. He could, when he became a coach, he couldn't transmit that greatness to his team because he didn't know how he got great. He mm. just went to become a coach and it wasn't the same thing. Yep. So, I had to then like step back and start analyzing what is the escalation? How does it work? Why is it working for me? Um, and and one of the biggest factors that a lot of instructors don't pay attention to is just because it works for me, is it will that work for other people? So I am I'm six foot one and I'm over two hundred and fifty pounds and I'm not a little guy. Like I'm I'm chubby but I'm solid. Yeah. And so maybe me my de escalation tactic might not work for my daughter who is five feet all at 80 pounds right? yep. so all of all of this stuff came in so to me to answer your question the most roundabout way possible, <laughs> um, de-escalation okay. is de-escalation is taking a situation and using verbal cues body language tone cadence all of the ways to communicate to then uh try to try to take the trying to take the boil down on that situation. So if things are starting to heat up, that's escalating. De-escalation is just trying to bring it back down. And it's 
It's a tricky skill, but once you get it, it's very easy. And honestly, it sometimes feels like a math. Learning how to de-escalate has been one of the things that has improved my life across the board, not even in just like physical situations, but in like my relationship and with my friend groups and all of that at work, right? Learning how to de-escalate is very important. So there's a couple of things you need to know about de-escalation, which I'm sure we're going to talk about coming up. Yeah, and you know, you touched on a point that I wanted to make. Uh, so thanks for stealing my thunder. Um, and that is, <laughs> no, it's quite all right. We need to talk about all this stuff. You know, I think so oftentimes, at least, and I'm guilty of it myself, so that's why I want to make a point of saying it now, is so oftentimes when I hear or think of de-escalation, I, I think I'm in conflict or, you know, um, trying to avoid conflict, right? Or prevent it from escalating further, right? Hence de-escalation. But, you know, there's a element for personal use of de-escalation, right? You know, emotional maturity, um, you're upset about something, realizing that you're upset and you need to walk away and, and take a break, right? You know, what do they, I'm going to screw it up, but what do they say? Something in the effect of the best cure for anger is time, Right. Right, sure. And you got to recognize that and walk away, you know, whatever it is. So de-escalation isn't necessarily about all about violence and physical conflict necessarily. It's it's got a purpose and a place even even in your personal life, right, for yourself. Absolutely. You can look at de-escalation in three ways. So number one, one of the first rules, and I'm going to be saying this probably a lot during this show, is you need to be able to de-escalate yourself first. Yeah. So you being ang- you being angry is not going to help a situation yet. If you are yelling at somebody to calm down, there's just there's a history of that never working. Yeah. So there's an internal de-escalation that you need to have on yourself. And I'm a I'm a student of Rory Miller. I'm doing a tour with Rory Miller uh, coming up here in September. He wrote a great book called Conflict Communication. It yep. is my favorite de-escalation program. I've taken a bunch of them. Uh, listeners, I highly recommend you grab that book or take that course, or you can hire me to run that course, whatever you want. But it's <laughs> Even a very, it's a little, yeah, little plug. No. It's, uh, it is, it is one of my favorite courses. I was the second licensed instructor through Rory, only because I was lazy and didn't become number one. I could have been. Um, I've taken that course 14 times, for, taken it, not taught it, taken the course 14 times. Yeah. And every time I get something new from it. But the biggest standout is number one. You need to be able to de-escalate yourself first. So like you said earlier, Jim, it's about uh, uh, maturity, right? It's about uh, it's about knowing your own emotions, right? Anger anger, and time, those are very important. So that's the first thing. You don't know how to de-escalate yourself. And just, to add, on, is, just to add on to that real quick, the other thing that comes course. to mind that's just as important as the emotional recognition and keeping that in check, I think another key yeah. piece, especially for guys and, and guys in the bar, like what you were talking about just a couple of minutes ago, is yeah. recognizing that you've got an ego and you need to get that in check, too, in a hurry, right? Absolutely. I had to learn that lesson the hard way. Uh, I My ego is out of control. It's still not great, but it used to be out of control. And uh, that would cause me to make poor decisions, right? Because I thought people challenged me personally. I couldn't, I couldn't recognize the stress levels of myself rising. Yeah. And I thought everybody thinks they're making good decisions for stress. That's one of the brain's biggest tricks is it makes you think you're making the proper decision. That's that's that tribal, if we want to call it, aka the monkey brain. Yeah. That's the thing that, you know, it, it's worried about your the reflection of you and others. And so, it, you know, I have to look tougher. People are going to think I'm weak or people are going to think I'm a punk or whatever, whatever word you want to use there, right? 
Um, and so we overreact or we overperform in these situations because, like you said, right, we don't have that emotional uh, recognition. I don't even want to say maturity. You might be mature, but you don't have the recognition that you're getting spiked. Like, so many people, how many people have you dealt with when you're like, hey, like, it seems like you might be a little angry. Like, I'm not angry. You're like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't have a problem. What are you talking about? Yeah. 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 I, I think you might have a problem. I think. So, yeah. Yeah. From from there, then we need to learn how to de-escalate the, the person we're talking to, right? So we need to learn how to make that communication. But the third thing that people also forget about is, like, you can pre-de-escalate, if that makes sense. So you can, like, set up an environment to make sure it's not a hostile environment, right? You can de-escalate the environment. You can take away bottles. You can take away weapons. You can take away things that might escalate the situation. Remove people from a room is de-escalation. Yeah. Um, a great example, the HA, the Hells Angels, used to uh, not own the bar I was in, but they used to frequent it often. Yep. When they used to get into fights, like they're, it, never, it was never the full patch members. Those guys were very, they were tough. But the prospect, when they would fight, we didn't go to the prospect and say, stop. We went to the guy in charge. That's a de-escalation tactic as well, but that's an environmental de-escalation, yep. right? We need you, boss, to remove this guy. Because I don't want to pick a fight with him because what if the up and up? Uh, in that, you know, that hierarchy take offense to me getting in their business. Yep. So de-escalate yourself. You need to learn how to de-escalate the situation, but the situation also includes things around you. So it could be, you know, somebody's agitated. You get somebody to remove the sharp object. You bring them into a room with the lighting that's not as bright, or you take them out of the bar situation where the music's like, bah, bah, bah. It's like right. amping them up and you put them somewhere else. So de-escalation comes in a lot of forms. Yeah, and you know, in your space, right? I mean, just saying, hey, guys, let's go outside and talk about this and come to a resolution, just getting them off the property, so to speak, right? Like outside those front yeah. doors, away yeah. from the loud music. So if nothing else, they can hear that those uh, yeah. the verbal aspects of the de-escalation that's about to go down, right? right? Exactly. And that's one of the things that people forget when they're when they're doing any kind of tactical, let's call it tactical communication, or they're doing any kind of uh, goal-driven communication. That's a better way to say it. They were tactical. Yeah. So goal-driven communication is that your tone and the way you speak and your inflection, it's all going to make a difference, right? So everybody, I'm sure all your listeners have heard the statistic, like, uh, you know, 80% of languages, is, 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 sorry, 60% of all communication is like body language and body tone. Language. And the other yeah. is the words, right? Yeah. So it's 60 60% is body language. The next 20% is how you say the words. And then the words are a very small portion, right? So I can say, and I do this um, in courses, and it's, it's a little invasive, but fun for me. So what I'll do is I'll be like, I'll, I'll take a posture, like a standing posture, and then I'll lean backwards, and I'll say like this. So I'm leaning back away from the subject. I'll be like, don't mess with me. I'm the toughest man in the world. They're like, okay. I'm like, how did that make you feel? They're like, well, I don't believe I'm like, but I just said I was the toughest man. Yeah. And then what I'll do is I'll get really close in their space. I'll take like a predatory punch and I'll look at them and be like, don't worry, you're safe. And they're like, what? I'm like, do you feel safe? They're like, no. I'm like, so do these words mean anything or should you be paying attention to my body language, my tone, how I'm saying stuff? Because humans use words to lie. It's harder to lie with your body. It takes a trick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and a, another great example that I think of a lot of times, too, is, you know, they talk about how when someone crosses their arms, 
you know, for, for, for women, what I understand, that's just a very natural, comfortable position for them to be in. Right. So it's harder sometimes to tell what that might mean for them. They might just be hanging out cause it's comfy. Right. But for a guy to do that with his arms closed, that's a pretty good sign that he's, you know, contemplating something awkward, uncomfortable, whatever. And, uh, talking about podcast on video, I was watching a, uh, a video uh, podcast of someone else in our space and they were talking about you know i think it was some personal aspects of their life right just answering the interviewer's questions whatever and he was talking you know he was talking and going along with what was you know being asked of him but at a point and i don't even i didn't even recognize when it happened but at a point i noticed that this guy's arms were crossed during the interview and he's sitting at his right. desk with his arms crossed. And I was like, okay, he's either put off by the topic, not comfortable talking about the topic, or he's already bored with this podcast. You know, something was going on there. So that yeah. body language tells all kinds of things, right? Exactly. And I like what you said there. You kind of touched on it, but I just want to extrapolate it. Yeah. One, one cue doesn't mean anything. So crossing my arms, does it, that one thing doesn't mean really anything maybe they're chilly maybe they're bored maybe they're expensive right yeah if we're looking for clusters or groupings of those behaviors right so if if they do three or four things in a sequence of aggressiveness right so yeah. the person just crosses their arms that's not a big deal but if they cross their arms they lean forward they take a deep breath and their nostrils flare you're like okay this is aggression right because we have multiple different um data points on this yep. but a person is crossing their arms or crossing their legs is gonna isn't enough to make that assumption but it is enough to see that the baseline has changed yeah and so you should be paying more attention yeah and that's a good point I'm, i mean for all i know this guy's uh you know leg was bouncing up and down really quickly underneath his desk while exactly. he's interviewing right and that would have been another indicator of okay his arms is crossed his he's bouncing his knee up and down really fast yeah. what what's making this guy so uncomfortable um i want to go, go go ahead sorry Oh, no, I, I was going to say kind of on that note of body language. Yeah. I always like to give resources to people. So there's a book by Joe Navarro, I believe his name is. Uh, he's a former FBI agent. And the, the book is called What Everybody is Saying. It's not everybody, everybody, but yeah. everybody is saying. It's a quick read. Like, I think audiobook is only seven hours. But he has one of my favorite models for identifying what people are going through. He makes it very simple. So I highly recommend reading it. Cool. I need to check that out for sure. So going back to this point that you made earlier, which I think is a great one and hopefully be able to talk about recognizing some of the things Um, you said that people and I totally agree. People don't always recognize when they're about to blow up. And they think that they're, you know, I'm not angry, like we said, right? And they think they're making (laughs) rational, calm, you know, intelligent decisions when they're really not. Can we talk about some of those cues that we should recognize within ourselves? Absolutely. So uh, I think like Miller says it best, which is he uses the try and brain model, which I also like to use. It's been debunked, but as a model, it works well to create the language to talk about these sort of things. So try and brain model says we have three brains. We don't. We have one brain. It's integrated. Right. But 
we have what's called the, the human brain, he calls it, which is your neocortex, primarily there's other systems that work. Then he has what he calls the monkey brain, I like to say tribal, uh, but it's your limbic system, which is kind of like your emotional response system. And then he has what's called the lizard brain, which is your survival mechanism, that's kind of your like brain stem, basal ganglia, like kind of like things that make you, uh, that give you like that fight or flight or though, that kind of stuff. That, yep. that's super so the way it works is the more complicated the brain, the quicker it shuts down during stress. So the human brain, if we're using this model, is by far the most complicated part. The neocortex takes a long time to form, doesn't really form until your mid to late 20s. So a lot of people have don't even have a fully formed brain when they're making decisions. So yeah. honestly, anybody under 25, and I'm sure you've seen this, and I'm sure your listeners have that, you know, there's a person like party animal wild person, and all of a sudden they turn 27 and they're like soccer parents. And they got a minivan. You're like, what the fuck happened here? Right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's because their brain finished developing. And there's a bunch of theories on why the neocortex um, takes long to develop. My favorite theory comes from Robert Sapolsky. Uh, and his theory is that because the later something develops in your body, the less it is affected by genetics. So it was important to have mm. your human neocortex develop late because then your genetics would affect it, your environment would. And also, we need risk takers as human beings. We need people to be like, what's on the other side of that water? Yeah. Like, nobody in 40s is like, let's jump on a boat and discover the new world. Like, that's not <laughs> happening. So we need, yeah. we need to have those people do it. That. So anyways, that's a little bit about the brain. So going back to the trying brain, human, monkey, lizard, we'll just use Miller's model for it or yeah. whoever creates the model. Basically. Um, the human brain shuts down very quickly under stress. It's not designed for it. The human brain is calm. That's why meditation is so important. That's why learning how to perform under stress is so important. Keep access to your human problem solving. What does kick in really quickly is your tribal slash monkey brain. Um, and it's very good at tricking the human brain into thinking that it works for the human brain, but in fact, your human brain works for your emotions, right? Yeah. So you've probably heard the saying facts over feelings. That's, I don't like that saying because people almost always choose feelings over facts. Right. And facts and feelings, that should be the saying, not facts or feelings, um, because people will naturally level towards their feelings. So when you're in your feelings, you are not in your critical thinking brain. So that's the most important thing to say or to understand. Right. Yeah. It's like what people say, like when you're in love, you're stupid. Absolutely. Yep. The amount of pretty ladies that have wrecked my life, Jim, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> the amount of pretty ladies that have just like come in and destroyed my life yep. is insane. Because you're making you're good, sound smart. decisions for yourself, right? Exactly. <laughs> Obviously, my emotions are the best way to make my critical life. So the first indicator that we want people to understand is that if you're feeling an emotion about somebody, you're not in your critical thinking brain. And it's any emotion. It's love. It's hate. It's anger. It's boredom. It's whatever. Yeah. So uh, example, example in my life, me and my sister, so nobody can get under my skin like my sister. My sister looks nothing like me. In fact, I just, you might have seen it. I put up a post with me and her in it, and I have like a hover hand. Yep. And everybody's like, oh, a nice hover hand. You could still pull. I'm like, that is my biological sister, you bunch of perverts. <laughs> but we look nothing, we look nothing alike. Like, seriously, nothing alike. You would never know we were related unless you talked to us. She seeks to act very similar. Yeah. So nobody can get under my skin like her. She knows your buttons and switches. To the point, she knows. Yes, and it's so good that even when she calls me, I feel emotions automatically because mm. I'm expecting a fight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's very hard for me to critically think around her, and I become a worse version of myself. So, skill number one. <laughs> Does she know this? 
<laughs> oh, she absolutely knows. Me. There's no way. There's no way. Like everybody, her husband, my fiance, my daughter, her kids are like, here they go. Like everybody knows we're going to get into a fight. Yep. And I teach the escalation for Olympics yeah. and I still can't get past this. So anytime you feel emotions coming up, that's a good sign you're not in your critical thinking brain. You're going to yeah. think you are. That's the trick. That's the trick of the monkey brain. Right? So that really and is gonna, that really is the defining moment. If you have any emotion at all around an individual, you know, yeah. around a group, an individual doesn't matter, or about a situation, yep. you, that you know, human brain is switched off, and you're now at least dabbling on the edge of monkey brain. Yeah, you're not thinking. You're not thinking as critically as you could, and I'm sure all of us experience this. Right, calm down. You're like. Why did I say that? That's me every time after I hang out with my sister. That's exactly me, right? Like, yeah. why did I get so mad? Like, what is like? And then you learn to yes play. And sorry, you learn about yourself. You learn the markers. And it's better now for me and her. But, like, it's still not great. Yeah. And everybody else, though, the lessons I learned in that situation have trickled down to the rest of my life. And it's made it easier. So I want people to understand that your de-escalation is never going to be perfect. It's always going to be kind of a moving goalpost. And especially the closer you are to a person, the more quickly you're going to get into that monkey brain, the more quickly you're going to get into a fight. That's why Thanksgiving dinners are always such a problem for people, right? That's like a trope, right? Oh, I got to go for Thanksgiving and talk to Uncle Blah about XYZ topic I don't agree with. Uh, that's why, because you're already in your emotional state before you even get there. You're prepped for a fight when you walk in. And if you're prepped for a fight and looking for a fight, there's no way there's not going to be a fight. Yeah. So if you can learn to calm yourself, find a practice, whether it's Zen meditation or going for a run or lifting weights or screaming into your pillow, I don't care. Whatever it is that's going to get you out of that emotional state and back into your thinking brain, you'd be surprised how much your relationships improve when we're talking about de-escalation in the long term as opposed to like short-term de-escalation. You know, guy gets in your face because of a, a road rage. Yeah. And, and you know, to 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 follow up on that point you know that might look like something as avoiding thanksgiving dinner with the family a year right because last year it was so heated or whatever it might not be that extreme it might mean okay we're gonna go let's say you have a significant other okay we're gonna go but you be my clock watcher and we're gonna leave in 45 minutes we're not gonna hang out here all afternoon and give everything or it might mean that uh, we cut the phone conversation short right before it escalates, you know, into something it doesn't right. need to. Um, or it might mean, you know, if you do get in it at Thanksgiving, you get up from the table and take a walk around the block, come back and you're fine again. Right. Those things. But to, to the point we're trying to make here is recognizing when that if you want to use that analogy, when the monkey brain is coming yeah. into play. And that just means keep in check on do I feel any emotion right now at all? And if I do, I need to be on top of that sooner than later. Exactly. I think there's a, there's a stoic practice. I'm thinking of stoic references. There's a stoic practice that, yeah. uh, that it's the first, one of the first practices of is learning what you can control, what you can't control, and yep. then what you can influence. This is, this is the escalation to be in a nutshell, right? I know I can control myself and my emotions ideally. Yep. I know I can't control somebody else and what their reactions are to my want but I might be able to influence them. So there's these three pillars, what I can control, what I can't control, and what I can influence. And de-escalation exists in the what I can influence. 
but you cannot influence anything if you can't first control yourself. You just can't do it. It's not, it's almost impossible. I'm sure it's been done, but more by accident than by design. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. Uh, talking about physical, right? Like we're, you know, we're all sure. down in the cerebral aspects of self-defense and even personal, uh, you know, your personal space like we were talking about. Talk about body language in a de-escalation situation. Um, what do we need to be looking out for there? What do we need to be making sure we're doing or not doing in a de-escalation situation? It's a great question. So uh, when I teach, so there's, because I'm primarily a self-defense instructor, right? So I'm not teaching like boxing guards so much, but we yep. can learn a lot from sport-based stuff when we are looking at creating distance and any kind of time and distance Sport has a very good aspect of it. So I like to teach different like kind of ready positions that don't look like ready positions. It's very common to teach. So I have three that I like to teach with the salesman, uh, the thinker, and the chief. And I use each of those positions for different stages of the encounter. So the standard self-defense position where people put their hands up like in front of somebody, yeah. uh, and they call the passive that they call the passive stance. In my experience, that stance is not seen as passive because the hands are close to the eyes. So one of the first things you want to understand is that most of us get our information through our eyes. So if you're putting something in the vision of somebody that is annoyed, they're going to get more annoyed because they think mm. you're not listening. They think you're not looking at them or they see you're putting up a defense structure and they call you on it. Right. So, yeah. And I'm not trying to pick, I'm not trying to pick up people who use the past stats. I don't like it. You've taken my course. I talk in the course, but why I don't like it because it's static. It's you have multiple tactical yeah. or 40% of the time. So, uh, one of the biggest issues I take with that is like people putting their hands in front of somebody's face. Strategically, it's a good position. If you think they're going to fight you, but if you're looking to deescalate, putting, Putting any tool or weapon in the field of vision is going to raise their stress level, not drop it. Yeah. So I like to keep my hands still in the workspace, still in front of me, but a lot lower than a lot of instructors advise because my goal is to try to calm this person down. Yeah. You can't calm this person down when you're like, get back, get back. Like that's not, <laughs> right. right? There's yeah. a place for it. Don't get me wrong. Right. But that's, that's not a de-escalation strategy. That's, uh, that's a time-based management strategy. Yep. If and it's getting close to go at that point, yeah. Exactly, but people yeah. use that as the default, and this is why they're having trouble de-escalating, right? It's the same thing we said verbally. If I'm yelling, calm down, that's not going to work. If I'm standing in a Muay Thai stance saying, like, calm down, what I'm saying and what I'm doing aren't tracking, and the body language and the tone cadence of the voice, our pitch volume of the voice, are more important than what you're saying, and this is this is uh this is a pet peeve of mine. It really bothers me because I see I see a lot of videos. A lot of people send me a lot of videos, um, and I see people like in the stance with their fingers splayed, which is good for biomechanics. Uh, with the eyes like back up, back up, back up, and they're like, and then if they get agitated, I'm like if they get agitated, they're definitely going to get agitated. Yeah, screaming at them with your fingers near their eyeballs, like you are you're front loading this, you're front loading an assault, and a lot of systems hide their combative system in a self-defense model by being like this is your passive stance yeah but the passive stance is set up to mess that person up right yeah it's not set up to actually strategically get them. so for me i like to keep the hands a little bit closer to my body not yeah. tactically sound if they're gonna fight um i like to 
speak with my hands below the eye level. Speaking with your hands and moving them is very good uh, because the more you move your hands, the harder it is for them to, to load up the suck punch. Because if you stand in one spot, the person can do the calculation to touch you. But if you're constantly shifting your position, it's harder for them to ambush and sucker punch you. Then, when you're doing this, you need to really make sure your voice is in a position, unless you're very talented. Like, I'm a loud, uh, very energetic person. Yeah. I can, I, I can weaponize that to de-escalate, but maybe somebody else can. So, knowing yourself is very good. Example, uh, I had a person on one of my shows, and she was talking about de-escalating, and she said she used her mom voice. So her, her, for her, her <laughs> yeah. mom voice was a very good de-escalation tool. Me using a mom voice is not going to be a good de-escalation That's not going to work so well. Yeah. So, right. So we need to pay attention to our body language. We also need to pay attention to how we present, right? Like, I have this thing in my head where I think everybody's the same height as me. I don't know why I'm very bad at it. And then I see myself in a picture with somebody, and I'm like, oh, I could eat that person. Jeez. Yeah. And in my head, though, when we talked, we were the same height. Yeah. So... I have to be aware of my physical presence. I have to be aware that I'm loud, especially when I get excited or energetic. I might fall into phrases. So I need to be aware of these things. So this is a de-escalation of yourself. Your position, what you're doing with your body has to match the words that you're saying. So if you're aggressively positioned, you're telling someone to calm down, they're not listening to your words. They're listening to what you're seeing, what you're doing. They're taking that information. So... I like to, you know, kind of cross my arms over, not interlock. I use what I call the TV position, or I put my hand on my chin in the finger, I call it. Yeah. So it looks like I'm listening, and I'm also actually listening. But you have to show them that, like, everything you do has to match. Yeah. It can't be disjointed, because that's going to cause confusion. Yep. And again, especially, I talked about chemicals in the system before. If there's chemicals in their system, and they're like just spiking up, cocaine is a great example of it. Yeah. I've dealt with lots of people on cocaine. It's a very popular drug here for the <laughs> oil worker culture that I live in, yeah. right? Because they need to stay up late. So yep. cocaine is super common here. It's a hell of a um, drug. <laughs> it's a hell. It works. It works if you're working 14 hour shifts and you want to stay thin. That's stuff for you. <laughs> right. Uh, but. When, when, uh, when I'm dealing with these people, like any kind of agitation is going to set them off. Yeah. So this is the thing with de-escalation. People think de-escalation is like check, right? Like, well, I put my hands up in a passive position and I told them that I didn't want to fight and then they didn't listen and then I did this other thing and then I obviously had to stomp on their head 45 times. Right. Like, that's not de-escalation. That wasn't that's de-escalation. That's the violence, right? Yeah. yeah. This is the step towards getting into a fight. And that's what de-escalation is taught. It's not taught that de-escalation often, that de-escalation should be the win. It's taught as something you try before you get to use your cool moves that you just got taught in class. And that's, that thinking has to go away. De-escalation is the win. That's what you want. You need to, people need to reframe a win from physically dominating somebody to being able to make somebody not try to hurt you. Yeah. That's the win. If you can, if whatever you do, make that person not do what they wanted to do, that's a win. So whether it's the escalation through pretending to be uh, scared, right? So uh, a story I like to share all the time, there was a real estate agent here in Canada. She was uh, attacked in a home she was showing. She had her hands grabbed and she was pushed over a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't care what martial arts system you take. If a person, this guy had 150 pounds on her. If a person is 150 pounds on you, has both of your wrists at a take center of gravity, there's no ninja move out. Yeah, size does matter, How contrary to some people's beliefs. <laughs> exactly. 
A hundred percent agree. Size and strength absolutely matter. Ask any, like they like to put up videos about like jujitsu takedown bodybuilders, but that's not the experience most jujitsu people have when they're first working with a bodybuilder. It will supersede events if you need to hire them. So, uh, she de-escalated by saying, wouldn't this be more comfortable in the bedroom? He said, sure. He then let her go and stood up. Then she escalated again, which is also an important thing to know. She slammed his head into the wall and the bathroom and got the hell out of the, out of the house. Well done. Yeah. De-escalation should be the goal, but you should also be able to re-escalate. So de-escalation could be you're having a conversation with somebody. Maybe you have best authority, your law enforcement, uh, your security. It's your house. It's your best friend. You can Then you can de-escalate from a point of authority equal to equal. But de-escalation just means making sure the violence that was going to happen didn't happen. That can be accomplished in many ways. There's, there's so many ways to win at this that don't have to go physical. Yeah. And that's one of the important parts of it. So physically for you, you need to, it, it's, it's an integrated strategy. So for the physical stuff, don't do anything that's contrary to what you're trying to say. So keep a defensive position, keep your hands near your chest in between your head and your hips, but don't look like you're like, creating a sniper position or whatever people are right. phrasing it as Trojan horse, I think is also one of them, right? That's a good analogy and I like it, but it, it, if it's a Trojan horse, they shouldn't know it's going to be an attack. So make sure you're not fingers in the eye line. Make sure you're not too close and give the space. The other part of the escalation is, is that's really important is active listening. Most of the time in my experience, why people get extremely violent is they believe that people aren't listening. Especially if they have drugs in their system and they yeah. think you're not listening because of the drugs, then it gets very hard. And if you're not listening to them because they're on drugs, that's going to be a problem, right? Yeah. We have a very, I think, culturally, we have a very myopic view of what drugs are. And a lot of people think like drugs change people, and it changes some people, people with really big addictive personalities. But I think straight edge people would be shocked to know how many people recreationally use chemicals and live a fully normal life outside of it it's yeah. like having a couple drinks on the weekend sure yep. so if you catch if you catch a person on whatever substance some kind of stimulant usually that's the problem stimulant is the problem um my one of my favorite lines that i heard when i was a bouncer is you know if you get three drunk people they're going to start a fight if you get three stone people they're going to start a band so any kind of like <laughs> weed right like any kind of like and eat a lot of cheetos <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, my career, I would deal with a hundred potheads over one drunk, like in a row. Oh, like, yeah. Potheads are just annoying. Yeah. Right? But it's like, you got to go, oh, come. Right? That's, right, that's, right. That's, that's the whole thing. And for drunks get aggressive. So any kind of place gets aggressive. So your amphetamine, uh, those are the really dangerous ones. Alcohol, even though it's a depression. People will get um, angry. And you'll hear that uh, when we're talking about chemicals. We'll talk about people getting sober in a second. But when you hear that, right, you're like, oh, you're just not listening because I'm drunk or because I'm this or because I'm that. Yeah. And if you address that, that's not the issue. No, no, I am listening to you. It doesn't matter that you're drunk. I Maybe I'm having some problems, but you can explain yourself. That'd be great. But if you could really show them you're trying to help, that's going to be the key. Uh, Richard Dimitri, that's one of his things that I take it, right, is, is this person just a good person having a bad day or is this actually a present? Yeah. And in a lot of situations, it's just a good person having a bad day, right? Like yep. you went to the bank, you're overdrawn, you don't have gas in your car, you're driving, your spouse, your partner is leaving you, your kids don't respect you, you're not where you're at at work, and then somebody cuts you off in traffic. Yep. And that's it, right? That's that's the snap. And then they become aggressive. This isn't a this isn't a villain. This isn't 
you know, better to be judged by 12 and carry by six no. situation. This is just somebody who snaps. Yep. They're having a bad time. And that's, that's most of this, the escalation of somebody having a bad day. Yep. You can listen, actively listen and show them through your voice, through your body language that you're actually trying to solve their problem. You, you'll find the escalation happens very, very quickly. It's yep. when somebody feels they're not being heard or they're being disrespected that things end to escalate. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, at least a couple of techniques from active listening practice is, is key for de-escalation, um, one of which is, you know, letting them know you've heard what they're saying or trying to say to you if they're drunk, right, uh, by repeating right. back to them key words that you've heard them say, right, to kind of get them agreeing exactly. with you and on your side. and. You know, um, another another one is speaking in simple sentences, right? Like, don't get on a soapbox yeah. and don't pontificate and don't use, you know, twelfth right. grade vocabulary. Keep it, keep it like the newspapers, you know, fifth grade vocabulary. You know what I'm saying? Keep it simple and 100%. short. And I, you know, talking about the drugs and the alcohol, there's another reason to keep those. Uh, comments and sentences or questions short and simple is because you may be dealing with an individual that's impaired and they're not gonna they're not gonna <laughs> respond to or even understand what you're trying to say if you don't keep it simple right i i, I can't agree more and i just want to say like how important that statement is because that statement which they keeping it simple and direct is the goal is the key so to any kind of verbal strategy so whether we're yesterday or setting boundaries you need to keep it short and simple. Don't over-explain yourself. Yeah. Just tell them what they tell them what you need. Tell them what you need from them, and that's going to make the conversation feel better. I can't tell you the amount of people I've de-escalated from, like I'm coming back to shoot up this bar, to then like 20 minutes later crying on the curb because we just found out, you know, they their wife had a miscarriage, no, right? And yeah. so this is the thing: is we don't know what people are going. I think Hoover says it. Ryan Hoover, yep. everybody's fighting something, yep. right? Absolutely. Everybody is fighting something. Yep. We don't know what they're going through. So if you can, if you can make sure that you're de-escalating yourself, if you can have empathy for the other person, if you could, if we can just stop seeing every person that's aggressive as the bad guy versus the good guy, if we can take that moral narrative out of it a little bit, yeah. the escalation becomes much simpler. Yeah, and I think another piece of that, and I. I I, it's something that I've worked on. I'm not going to say that I'm an expert at it because I'm far from it, but it's something that I've worked on. I think another key piece of de-escalation, which plays into this that we're talking about, is especially knowing that you never know what someone else is going through or dealing with until you walked a mile in their shoes, right? Whatever that saying is, you don't know right. a man until they've walked yeah. a mile in their shoes, a person you don't know until you've walked a mile in their shoes. I think the key piece that um, people need to understand is trying to have more or better empathy with the individual that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Right. And empathy is not the same thing as sympathy, right? Like the story you just told, the guy, you know, you get him on the curb, he's crying, and he's talking about how his wife just had a miscarriage, right? It's very easy to find yourself sympathizing with that person, feeling sorry for that person. But in the context yeah. of de-escalation, what we're talking about, that's not appropriate at all. What we're talking about is empathy. And is empathy is, I, I like to think that I coined the phrase, I doubt I did, but when I think of empathy... <laughs> 
there's a thing in the South, and I don't think very many people have them anymore, except maybe some older folks still around. But in the South, there's this thing you place in the middle of your dinner table, and it's it's called a Lazy Susan. Are you familiar with a Lazy Susan? I am, yes. Okay. So, you got the basically a, a miniature table in the middle of your table that you put your condiments, your salt and pepper, whatever on it, or your, you know, your vegetables that you're serving. And when somebody wants something, you spin the table so that that object is on their side so they can more easily get to it. Just explain to our audience what it is. And so... When it comes to empathy, I just tell myself all the time, you know, I try to spin the lazy Susan so I can see things from their angle, right? Or see things how they're like seeing that. it. So that's kind of the way I try to think of empathy is spinning the lazy Susan, even though that's probably going to be abstract for most folks. But the goal is to try to better understand where that individual is coming from. And that goes a long way in de-escalation as well. I agree. I, I love that analogy. It's a really good one. And I think the other thing that we need to realize for de-escalating is, and this is, we got to get out of this you, us versus them kind of thought process, yeah. is you might not actually be this person's enemy. You're just the person engaging with them while they're going through this. So if you cannot take this person, like what I learned, it took me a while. Like this is not, uh, I don't consider myself an expert in anything that I talk about. Uh, a lot of this is just learned from me being dumb and making a whole bunch of mistakes. But when I first learned about kind of like kind of look fitting lazy Susan, as you said, um, it it was a hard thing for me to understand that I wasn't actually the problem. Like, because we're designed to take stuff personally. Yep. We're designed to be like, oh, it's my fault. But like, if a guy's yelling at me because he wants to get into a bar, it's not a problem with me. I'm just the barrier to his actual goal. Yeah. So if I can try to help them get to their goal, that's going to be helpful. And it's the same thing even your relationships, right? Like, so um, I've had a couple relationships that a divorce under my belt. So I've learned some lessons. And one of the lessons is realizing even when your partner's mad at you, they might not be mad at you. And they're most likely not mad at you for the thing they're mad at you for right now. It's probably something you did forever ago. Like if, if your partner snaps over something stupid and small, like, I can't believe you put the, the chips under the bread. Like they're going to get cracked. And you're like, whoa, this is an overreaction, yeah. right? It's yeah. probably not about the chip. It's probably two weeks ago you forgot a birthday or something. Yep. And they're like, it's been stewing and this is a thing that snaps. <laughs> it's God starting to show itself. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's where I think a lot of these problems come from. And that's why the, the that's the feature cause good person having a bad day is really important. You just might be, you, they might, you just might be experiencing their snap and you might not even be the cause of it, but it might feel like you are because you don't know their backstory. Right. Yeah. So if you can un so desk with yourself, then if you can make it not personal, it man, honestly, that's like a life hack. If you can learn to not take things personal, it's 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 so freeing. Like I don't know yeah. uh, how much your listeners follow me on social media, but everybody knows I love my haters. I love you. All of you people that hate me, I love you. Feed me. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Because you know what? I know I'm not for everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and I'm okay with that. And once you learn that, like, it doesn't matter what people say, it's not personal, everything becomes easier. You can get your message out more clearly. And especially if there's de-escalation involved, you want to get your message out more clearly. If you don't care what they think about you, and you're just trying to solve a problem, and you're not in your emotions, you're going to become the thug whisperer. You're going to become the carjacker whisperer, whatever it is, right? Like, you're going to have that ability. Yeah. 
and, and, and a better from your emotion. Yeah, and a better stoic too, right? You know, can't control yeah, anything exactly. outside your space. Um, yeah, I think you know that's a great point. Try not to take it personal because it it seldom. I mean, if you're the one that they're in the fight with, that's a different story. And and it could yeah. change to that if you're not good at de escalation or if you're not really working <laughs> to de de escalate, right? But. Um, it's That's you shouldn't take it personally. And, you know, I, I struggle with that myself. I, you know, to your point, we're all kind of hardwired to varying degrees to take things personally. We yeah. take offense to it very easily. Um, and as a sidebar note, and I don't I'm not sure how this ties into de-escalation offhand, but one that my buddy tells me all the time is learn not to have any expectations. Right. Yep. That's uh, another I big life lesson. I think that ties into exactly what I was saying before, which is don't expect there's always going to end up in a fight, yeah. right? Don't think that everything you're doing is leading up to the eventual fight. Because that, like, and why I say this and why I'm so passionate about it is uh, a lot of instructors like to brag about their fight records or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I've been, I've been in a few. Like, if you do the math, I worked full-time at a bar where people got fights twice a night for six So I've been in a couple of scraps, but again, which is drunk people, a very small sliver of violence. Yeah. But, oh my God, how quickly did the, did my, uh, fight drop when I started realizing this isn't about me, right? And even if it was, even if they said it was about me, like going back to relationships, sure. it wasn't about the event that's happening right now. It's about something else that happened. So if you can just be, take it personal, don't take it personal rather. Yeah. Don't take it personal. Don't be in your emotions. You can then Sherlock Holmes your way to finding out what the actual issue is. And it's probably an easy song. Yeah. Right. It's probably not as hard as you think it is. It's the only reason it gets hard is when we get in our own way. When we take it personal. When we attach emotions, we have expectations. When we think like, well, this, how, how dare they treat me like this? You're like, well, maybe they're breaking your, the violating your boundary because of something you did. Right. So if you can calm yourself down and pay attention to the environment, actively listen, hear what they're saying. And like you said, repeat back, like, I think you're saying this, mm-hmm. like that kind of communication becomes yeah. so important. Like I said, it took me three or four years of getting punched in the face, shot at, <laughs> stabbed, all the crazy stuff that happened in my life to realize like nobody punches a smiling guy, right? So that, that and that, that pivoted my entire thought process and life became much, much easier. You like, know, I didn't go to, I, I didn't go to work at a bar for a fight. I went to go to work at a bar because girls go to bars. Right. So, like, I wasn't there for scrapping. I was there to meet somebody, and my life then shifted very quickly to being that happy guy, which was great. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but think, Randy, that if you had been better at that time with de-escalation and active listening, that you could have avoided that whole fork incident. I'm just saying. A hundred percent I could have. Uh, <laughs> but, and so that was that was a third part of de-escalation, because I was going to hurt that person, and my friend tackled so that's another de-escalation right there. It's just taking taking the bad actors out of the fight, right? Yeah. Also, my main the main the major stabbing that I talked about a lot in my course, uh, that one could have been avoided too with active listening. Sure. I just wasn't listening, and the guy got fed up, and yeah. then it got to be pointy sharp. So, yeah, it's it's crazy if you we have to learn these lessons slowly. And I hope your listeners understand what we're trying to do. Myself, Jim, all the stuff we're doing here, we're trying to compress time. So we're trying to show you our mistakes or the mistakes of people on the show in order for you not to make those same mistakes so you can compress the time to get more skills quicker without having to learn the lessons 
through flood or whatever. Yeah, the hard way, right? And and, and hopefully, exactly. you know, some younger folks will listen to this. The right college age, bar hopping age, maybe some folks that That'd are be below twenty five would really benefit from hearing this information and learning it a more easier, digestible manner than getting a fist put down their throat and learning the hard ways. <laughs> You know, and some I think people are gonna have to learn that way. some people just have to learn. Some people need to get kicked in the throat to learn a lesson, unfortunately. Um, you know, and I, 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 I think this and, and, and uh, you know, I can pe- speak for myself, certainly, whether it's a personal relationship or a bar fight. I think a key piece of de-escalation is the person that's got the issues right had the bad day or is the most upset or is gunning for some sort of fight for some reason right i think a key piece of the de-escalation which ties into everything we've been talking about is that they just want to be heard and understand understood yep yeah Um, exactly so anything you can do to make them feel that make them feel better about that, the better off you'll be. Um, well, exactly. And that's where that repeating stuff back comes in. And that's where the activist comes in. Like treat this like a problem to solve. Don't treat this like a personal attack and you're going to do a lot better. Yeah. Uh, just real quick. I want to run down a list. This is definitely not original content, but I do want to r- go through some other tips when dealing, when trying to deescalate sure. a situation Again, it could be personal relationship or that bar fight, wherever, however it manifests itself, right? And as I go down this list, some of which we've already talked about, if anything really stands out that you want to comment on, just cut me off and uh, we'll talk about it uh, in no particular order. Uh, so when you're when you're working to de-escalate a situation, you want to avoid saying no. It's kind of like uh, hostage negotiations, right? You want to avoid saying no. You want to give the other person plenty of personal space because I'm sure you appreciate personal space as well. Um, You want to stay calm, which is kind of an obvious one. Uh, You don't want to call names. You want to avoid the whole name calling. You want to avoid verbal and physical threats. Absolutely. And, you know, like we've talked about, I think, is, you know, practice active listening and empathy. Um, is there anything there that you think merits deeper dive or anything missed? I, I, uh, so let's, how about we'll go, I'm going to get you to go through the list again. Yeah. But I like to just kind of put the order of, uh, the order that I think the destination goes through first for the listeners. I'll go through that. And then I do have some points on the things that you said. So sure. first thing you want to do, number one is context king. The situation is going to dictate your response. Uh, every situation is different. It's why like checklist mentality in self-defense bothers me. It often gets people into fights more than people out of fights. Like I said, people tend to be like, oh, we're de-escalating, but de-escalation eventually leads to jujitsu time, whatever they're doing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, number one is de-escalate yourself. That's the first thing. Once you know a situation's happening, you need to take breath. You might have to move yourself from the situation. We did this with door staff, right? If the person that threw somebody out of the bar was not the person that told them they couldn't come back in. So if I'm the guy that threw somebody out, then I would leave and the person at the door, a new fresh face, would then tell them they couldn't come back in because the person they had a problem with, me in this scenario, is gone. Yep. So they're not mad at the person at the door. They're mad at the person that's gone. Yep. It's much easier to de-escalate if you have to do that. So you have to de-escalate yourself first or remove yourself from the situation. Let's do 
Yeah. Once you've de-escalated yourself, you need to suss out, is this a good person after a bad day or is this an actual predatory problem? The predatory problem, jump, skip, steps, you're not going to de-escalate, go and deal with that. Let's assume it's a good person having a bad day. Then we need to find out what the root of their problem is. You're going to actively listen. You're going to commiserate. You're going to have empathy. And then you're going to find solution, ideally do the solution, and then make sure that there's no reprise. So make sure that everything has been done. So it's almost like a customer service call. Right? Yeah. Hey, how's it going? What's your name? How do I call you? <laughs> Here is your problem. At the end of the call, they're like, have we solved all your problems? Have we today? solved your problems you today? Yes. Exactly. That's, that's what we're looking for. So that's like the timeline of the escalation. So, How satisfied um, overall with you are you with us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How satisfied were you with your escort out of the box? Yeah. Uh, so, but it's, it's important because you want to make sure there isn't any other underlying issues because people, most people's default uh, communication method is passive aggressive, uh, which sucks. So it yeah. feels like maybe they're like, Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, everything is fine. You're like, it doesn't sound like it's fine. Like, is there, were you okay with your service call today? Like, is there yeah. any other issues we can help you with today, right. sir? That's important. And there's a reason why customer service people do that. And sure. one of the biggest things I like to point out is the self-defense stuff isn't that different than your regular encounters in life, right? Everybody likes to make martial arts self-defense Like, oh, it's different, right? I'm like, if you play some football, Learn how to box and get a sales job. You've got like almost all the skills you need to yeah, defend. Yeah. You have physical resiliency. You can throw your hands and you know how to deal with people in a way where violence isn't an option. It's just not an and option. And that's the thing is people always assume that violence is an option. So the first, what was the first point on your list again? Well, basically it's kind of like hostage negotiation. Saying no is a no-no, right? I just said so it. But. I, I, yeah, I, I disagree a little bit. Okay. Um, and I, I understand that it is like negotiation, sure. And again, for me, it's always short term versus long term, and that we need to look at both things, right? Short term being in the moment, long term being maybe relationship maintenance or whatever, right? Like yeah. in a bar, if I beat the crap out of somebody, like the long term result might be him and his friends rolling up after shipping, picking the crap out of them. Yeah. So we have to make sure there isn't reprisal. We have to make sure there is retribution. We have to make sure they have a good customer service call. So when, um, when there, I, I don't think don't say no because there's going to be times you have to say no, right? Like, hey, how's it going? I like to get back in the bar. Well, you can't get back in the bar, right? If I don't say no, then what's the point of even having it? I can't just let them do whatever they want. So you are going to have to say no. Yeah. I would say don't, right? I would say don't say no to things you don't need to say no to yeah. and really show them why you're saying no. But a rule of don't say no, that's that's not a good rule for any kind of, of going through. So try to avoid the negative, I think, but there's going to be places where you have to hold fast on it, right? Like maybe you're in a fight with your partner and then they're like, so your partner's like, well, listen, in order to resolve this, no more this. You might have to listen to that though. Yeah. So I don't really agree with it because context is king. I get why it's a tip, um, but I don't like those quick tip things. Yep. So what was the next one? No, I was just going to say to add on to that, oh, yeah. wh where I come from, and you know, that's on uh, a lot of how to de-escalate list, right? D avoid saying no, right. and I. So I included on the list because again, those things I zip through are not original content for you and I here just to discuss. <laughs> right. But but it. Yeah, but I love it. I do agree that there. And, and I, I'm one of those guys that might be on the receiving end of a hard no at, at different points, right? Um, sure. and, and what's in my mind when I think about that is that there's an art 
to saying no without saying no. Yeah. And I think it's applicable even in the bar scene. Not that that applies oh, yeah. to everyone that's listening to us, but I think that's applicable. So, for example, the guy that you just escorted out of the bar, he wants to come back in. You could say yeah. that ain't happening tonight, pal. Go home. Right. Or some calmer right. facsimile yeah. thereof. Or you could say, we'll see you tomorrow night. Right. You're not coming in now, but it's okay if you come back tomorrow night. Right. So I I think in terms of learning the art of saying no without saying no, and that's a skill that I have not mastered yet either, but it's something that I'm working on. Right. I think, and and again, context is so important because like the art of saying no, while not saying no could be implied by some people as not a no is to some people a yes. Yep. And the absence of a no is not a yes, but a lot of people take it that way. So, again, it depends on the context. Yep, it could absolutely. be you're de-escalating somebody from harming you, uh, and you have to have that hard no. No but, right? No but is okay. Like And like you said, right? Guys, can I come back in? No, you can't tonight, but please come back tomorrow. Here's a coupon for 10% off your bill. Yep. You yep. Right? That, but that, that no has to stand. So, I don't know. I'm really... I'm big on clear communication. I think it's important. So this one, this one's tricky. And this is a thing, listeners. All of this stuff is tricky. Yeah. All of this stuff has subtlety and all of this stuff has context. So again, you need to know the situation you're in. You need to know what tools you have available to you. You need to know how you're seen and what threats you present to you. And then you can make your strategy from there. Yeah. And, and, you know, as someone is quoted infamously that we know it depends, right? Like there is no magic yeah, exactly. one cure all that fits for every situation that's going to work every single time. That's true of no matter what their marketing says, no matter what their marketing says. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, it, and it's true whether it's mental tactics or physical techniques, right? There's not one magic bullet and none of them are guaranteed to work 100% of the time. So that's that's a great point. Uh, the next one moving on was, you know, give them their personal space let them have their personal space and again i know there's going to be situations where that might not be the thing to do right but with that comes monitoring your own personal space as well yeah yeah in that that one i think i it's not that was not as much of a a annoyance to me but the other one was i think because yeah like give them the space they require but again the space they require maybe like i uh the uh, the guy that had the miscarriage uh, that that ended with me giving him a hug, and I hate hugs. No, oh, yeah, I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> uh, but but you don't even hug your me. sister, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Look at the picture. Look, look at the handout, man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm not a big physical toucher, in, in, yeah. except for certain situations. Right. So the with uh, with that, like, but I did like. So I gave him the space they required. Sometimes that space might be booked. Right. So. Listen to what the person is asking. If the person is like a lot of this stuff, and Mark McYoung says it really well, right? Most mm-hmm. violence comes with instructions on how to avoid it, right? So if somebody's like, "Don't come effing near me," then don't go near them, right? right? Like yeah. that's they're 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 communicating their need. If they're like, "Please yeah. stop talking, leave." If you both stop talking and leave, that's going to work out. But again, if they're like, people just don't understand, like that collapsing of distance. So where give them the space they required yep. i think would be a good amendment to that not just give them space as a default because maybe you're trying to make a connection with this person in order to get them out or maybe they're going through something horrible right like yep. if you are if you're trying to de-escalate a jumper 
you want to get as close as possible to grab them and pull right. them back, right? So yeah. you might you might need to get there. But again, there's so it's such a broad spectrum. But I like as a general rule with the active listening, I do think giving people space most of the time is a good. Yeah, because I think we would be uh, remiss to think that the 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 individual that's being handled, so to speak, dealt with. Yeah. Sure. doesn't have some boundary needs themselves so that's kind of like the other side right. of the boundary fence too but anyway yeah um the other one was uh stay calm right yeah that one that was 100 percent, right yeah. like uh and again there's, there's cool. times where i didn't yeah exactly there was times where i did stay calm uh because but i was commiserating i was trying to bond with the person yeah. so you know right like Stay calm is good, especially that stranger danger kind of instant thing. But like, if your spouse is riled up about something, you're not riled up. Like, you're not gonna be able to escalate them. Sometimes you just gotta be like, "I'm also angry," and they're like, "Good, now we're friends again, right?" So, yeah. but again, as a general rule, staying calm is always the best thing. Yeah. Uh, the other two, which are, I guess, uh, kind of bundled together in my mind is don't get into name sure. calling and don't be verbally yeah. or physically uh, threatening, right? Like there's a, t there, there'll be a time possibly, but we're trying to avoid it. There'll be a time possibly where you need to be physically threatening, right? But we're trying to get around that. That's the whole point of this whole de-escalation thing. So if, if we go into our fighting stance while we're saying, yeah, man, I know what it's like to get <laughs> shitty service in the bar. I know just what you mean. And you're sliding your back foot back you know you're contradicting yeah. yourself which is a no-no and now we're also showing signs of physical threat right being physically threatening yeah. so um don't want to do that exactly i think that th those rules are both very important especially the name calling one um one of the ways though people act as violence four ways uh in my experience which is through either high levels of emotion or chemicals uh, number two is your social conditioning. They grew up in a violent place. Number three is your operant conditioning or training. And then number four is what we call othering. Um, using names, it makes people feel like you're not on their side, right? It's like you're putting them in a separate tribe. So going back to your hostage negotiation example, it's exactly like hostage negotiation 101, right? You want to show the person how similar you are to them as opposed to showing how different you are. Because if we're different, we're not on the same team. If we're similar, we are on the same team. So, your goal is not to other the other person. Your goal is not to make it feel like they're not part of the situation. Because one of the most dangerous places you can be is somebody from the out group trying to tell people in an in group how to behave. That's that's dangerous. That's why police uh, domestic violence calls are so dangerous for police officers, right? Because a third party out group is coming in to tell this in group the the couple how to live, and they'll both very often turn on the officer, even if the person like there's a really a really graphic story, um, but where the uh, an officer came in to help a woman who was being domestically abused, and when he, the handcuffs went on the husband, she actually hit the cop in the back head with the bat the guy had just used to hit her. He hit her so hard there was still some of her hair on the bat, but because it was an out group coming in, yeah. she actually used that to hit the officer. So be aware that like our job, like that's why I like the hot association uh, metaphor is our job has become part of the in group as fast as possible. Right. So example, I'm, I'm using a lot of bouncer examples for my favorite club anywhere, but example, right? Guys, like, I want to come back in. I'm like, honestly, dude, I'd let you come back in, but it's not my job. We all got jobs. You got a boss, right? Like, 
Yeah, I have a boss. Well, my boss is a dick and doesn't like you. Doesn't want you to come in. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's my job. We call it upper. It's an upper management close. Yeah, it's our job not to let you back in. You get that, right? You get him just here making a living. I accept you against you. Yeah, it's just a rule. Yeah. That, that very often escalates. They're like, yeah, because again, right? We're both working fifths. We're both like, I'm like, dude, this is my second job. I'm trying to pay for whatever. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. And you often get this. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at actual problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if we can, if we can get in that group, um, same thing with the guy that had the, where his wife had the miscarriage, right? Like I have a daughter. Uh, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I could sympathize for sure. Empathy was harder, but I was like, man, like I couldn't even imagine what you're going through. I have a daughter and you know, like that, that I can't imagine what you've been going through. That's going to be the change. So the, I love the hostage negotiator. Think this hostage negotiator 101 is get into as many groups there in a fast. Right. Yeah. Oh, you like hockey? I like hockey. You like boxing? I like boxing. Yeah. You like NASCAR? I like that. Common ground, like, right? That's yeah. Common ground. So the faster you can become an in-group person, people in the in-group solve problems. People in the out-group often see it as the problem. So I can come in and be in the in-group solving the problem instead of being the force making the problem. That's going to make the escalation a lot. Go a lot smoother and in your favor, hopefully. Um. Oh. A couple of last points that I want to make, which we kind of talked on in the realtor story, um, just two that make a lot of sense to me is, you know, assuming violence may be or might have been imminent, ultimately for you, you want to find yourself getting away and getting out of that situation, right? Um, and so that's your ultimate goal is to go home and be done with it, right? Yeah. And then coupled with that, yeah. and I think it's important and things have to get pretty bad, I imagine. And um, the chances are going to be rare because to your point, I think it's more good people having a bad day or a bad night. Yeah. Um, but in the case of predators, I think it's more, I won't say likely, but, you know, just need to be aware is don't go anywhere with an individual that you're, you know, working to de-escalate right if they say well let's go take a car ride and talk this out don't do that yeah no unless you control the space you're going to like if you're like hey come with me to this place that i control that's fine but you yep. want to be control the situation yep. one of the things i most quoted say is if you're not taking damage or being transported use that time to make your situation better so if i'm not getting hurt and i'm not being taken anywhere use that time to de-escalate you need to pretend you're complying to get ways to be better. That's also fine. Um, there's lots of ways to win here, but we have to get out of the mindset that, like I said, we have to reframe that win. Violence, even if violence was imminent, maybe we can talk ourselves out of it, and that needs to be seen as the win. So, yeah, would you don't want to ever go to a secondary place with somebody if they control it. You like control that situation. Home field advantage is a real thing. Uh, the statistics on being taken to a secondary crime location are grim. I think uh, last time I looked, and maybe I need to update this. So I'm going to say 2014 was the last time I saw this stat. It was the FBI database, U.S. based stat, and it said that three percent, only three percent of people that were taken to secondary crime scenes actually didn't have the crime that they were taking or happened to them. Three yeah. percent. Yeah. And of that three percent, we can break it down into thirds. One third of the people, the reason the crime didn't happen is there was some kind of intervention, a neighbor or a a police officer or somebody came and stopped them. Yeah. Uh, number two was the person escaped 1% of the time on their own, very rarely. 
And last but not least, the other third percent is the, uh, the attacker just dies. So it's as likely your attacker just dies than it is for the cops to come or for you to actually escape under your own power if taken to a place where they control. Yeah. This is very, very important stuff. Do not go to places you do not control with people you don't know, especially predatory. And that's the other thing I think that uh, bears a little bit of mention. I know we're going long here, but no, uh, another fine. thing that bears to mention is uh, very hard to estimate a predator if they already see you as prey. Yep. Right? The rabbit can say everything it wants to the wolf. The wolf's still going to eat it. Yeah. So when you're, this is the problem with de-escalation is some people think, like you said, and this is such a great point, I'm glad you brought it up, is that they think, oh, if I'm de-escalating, I should be complying and not saying no. So you should get in the car with me. Uh, I'm not supposed to say no when I de-escalate. So, okay. Right. You're like, no, 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 no that's not okay. No, 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 no. It's no, okay no. here sometimes. Yeah. Right. So, so in that situation, a predator's going to take advantage of predators. They have two base tactics, charm and blitz. Charm always leads to blitz. Blitz being a sudden violent attack. So in their charm state, they might use your de-escalation against you if you have bad de-escalation skills and you don't know, you know, safety before de-escalation, always de-escalation next. So make sure you're safe while de-escalating and then after that you can de But don't de-escalate before safety. That's not a good thing. Yeah. No, those are good points. And and certainly in in trying to avoid saying no, if you're asked to go somewhere, that's definitely <laughs> to your point an exception to that rule for sure. Exactly, exactly right. So we don't want to like anytime we put hard and fast rules on stuff. Guidelines are fine, yeah. But like in general, like you got to keep you have to hold your the reason there the reason there's a conflict is because. So I'm going to kind of boil this down to, in my opinion, I'm a sales guy, so take it for yourself. In my opinion, everything, everything is a negotiation. Every, every interaction is a negotiation. It's about what I want and then it's about what they want. And then we try and find a happy compromise. That's the S of negotiation. That's, that's everything, right? So example with my partner, I like to work a lot. I'm a workaholic. So she wanted to have a date night. That was a negotiation. And also it was kind of a fight, right? So if I understand this is a negotiation, and she wants something and I want something, only one person's going to win this or we're going to find a medium where, you know, nobody's happy and that's that's a good negotiation. Everybody leaves us happy. So when we're, when we're doing this stuff, we have to realize it's still, it's still a negotiation. We still have a goal, which is to de-escalate them, but we also have a goal of maybe I'm breaking up with or they're a road rage or they're not coming into the space or I need to leave. So yeah. the goal in mind is not just to calm them down, but also to get what you need out of the conversation. So if you have that safety and it's a negotiation in mind, that's going to be a good uh, through, like uh, through uh, a way through all of this. That's going to guide the rest of your decision. Yeah, it's a good guide. Uh, this has been a good chat, man. Another good chat. Um, I'm really hoping a lot of people listen to this one. I hope so too. And luckily, uh, you're looking for a younger demographic. My demographic is younger, so hopefully, people listen to the show. I'll share the heck out of it, of course. Um, but yeah, like this is this is. I'm glad you wanted to have this topic. This has been a very good conversation because this is definitely not talked about enough, and it's talked about, in my opinion, as as all the listeners yourself have heard today. Uh, I have a lot of little problems with the way it's generally taught because yeah. it's often taught as a throwaway checklist to make sure you did that stuff before you get huge cool ninja skills. And it shouldn't be. This This should be the win. The escalation should be the gold standard of self-defense, not the physical response. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think it's been a good, a good 
good one for us to cover for sure. Uh, how can people find you? I know you got new stuff out, so. Sure. So I'm still, most of the stuff is still going on, uh, Randy King Live. So, uh, Instagram is the best place to get a hold of me. Best to talk to me. I really want everyone to understand I'm super accessible. If you message me, I will respond. Uh, I love having talks and communication with people. I'm still very much a one-on-one coach, even though I speak to bigger numbers, uh, because I like to hear people's stories and learn things that I don't know, right? So if you have a story about de-escalation you want to share with me or questions about it, please feel free to. So at Randy King Live, um, that's the best way. Instagram, you can get me. Uh, RandyKingLive.com is my website if you're looking to book me, but also if you want to book me, just send me a message on Instagram. It's easier. Uh, and then I think that's pretty much it i have a podcast as well called uh the devil's advocate self-defense podcast where i debate people if you want that it's all randy king live <laughs> podcast channel you can find it anywhere uh podcast exists yeah that's awesome randy thanks so much for doing this again and uh, i'm looking forward to the next one already too awesome anytime you want to have me i love having conversations with you Jim. it's been very fun appreciate it talk to you soon <laughs>